Hi, my name is Drea. And I'm Luna. And this is our podcast, Collected Knowledge. Whoop, whoop. So on this podcast, we're going to be interviewing Detroit educators as teachers ourselves, um, just learning the landscape and working for a liberatory education and, you know, just doing our self-care work and leadership development. But first, before we get started with all that, yes. I want us to introduce our, our host, my co-host, uh, Luna. Tell us about Hello. yourself. How are you doing today? Today, well, right now, what time is it? It is 5.27 p.m. <laughs> I had a long day of work sitting at home where there's no AC and actually enjoying, enjoying um, this, this summer I've been teaching femme identifying middle school and high schoolers and college students how to code web development and that's been super super fun um so we just finished that skipped out of office hours today (laughs) to do this which was way cool um and in general i mean it is the summertime we've been on many adventures together and one adventure that we've embarked together in this new journey of adulthood is moving into our own freaking space to live in all by ourselves. Drea, how's it been? You just moved two days ago, no? Three? I don't know. Saturday. How does it feel to be completely in your own space, all alone, even though we're here together? <laughs> Minus that. What is it like? Hi, Luna. Um, I really enjoyed the move. I really like the decorating. And I like having this smaller space because it's easier to give more attention to the details, like spending more time with my plants because they're all in my face. I have to walk up and down some stairs. I go check the front yard and the backyard. They're all in like a few square feet. Um, Yeah, I've just been really on my own schedule. This summer has been really about like leveling myself up. I'm like, I spent the last two years like how to be an educator for my students. And so this has been like the most, like I've been pouring into myself this summer. Yes. Um, it's been very different yes. and refreshing. But Okay, let's get to it, Luna. Okay, I'm ready. So today what we're gonna do is we're gonna start off, you know, this is an interview podcast, but before we interview all of our exceptional Detroit educators, we'll get to know us a little bit and our like background and our education. So I'm gonna start with the questions. Okay, so Lou's gonna start with the questions, which you <clears> made me <throat> So go ahead, Lou. Question number one, Drea, Alexandria Summers. <laughs> Should we cut our actual names out? <laughs> Who are you? Who am I? I'm definitely been in a space of transition, so I feel like answering that question has gotten complicated. Like when I'm not settled. I literally have a pile of boxes in my house right now. <laughs> so who Con- am I? Confirmed. Am I the box lady? And right now, I kind of am because I got so tired. I just kind of stopped unpacking. <laughs> um, you know, I'm someone who is trying to stick to my voice. Um, I'm a daughter. I'm a friend. I'm a musician, an artist. I'm... Um, someone who's just trying to figure out what does it mean to do labor and make it worth it um and yeah i'm just right now i'm a questioner that's who i am right now luna who are you i like that hmm what a loaded question who am i where do you even start but the present 
Right now, I am an instructor for coding. Immersed in, right, that was me coding. Just kidding, that was Drea. <laughs> um, very, very much immersed in that beauty of um, community that's super, super diverse. We're all, we're from, we have family from all over the country um, and across the seas. And so that's really cool to be in the same space to um, learn how to code together and dominate the fields that, you know, we're being underrepresented in. Um, so that's been very inspiring to be in that space um, with older girls and femme-identifying folks because usually I'm with <laughs> little children, kindergarten, and this year, first grade. So it's a cool um, contrast and stretches my own way of learning and listening and teaching um, as an instructor and educator and learner. Um, that's been, yeah, that's me right now instructor and learner also though just like this whole summer has been a life feels like a life time of adventures train traveling across the country you know learning how to code teaching it moving across the whole entire city (laughs) 15 minutes away um and yeah living into this new life is really really exciting and so um who am i i am I'm adventurer. Ooh, <laughs> got an adventurer here. That's right. Amazing. All right, on to the next question. Okay. Hmm. All right, next one. Drea, what was your education like growing up? Um, I would say like my education, I definitely experienced a a di- like different education systems. So I grew up outside of Detroit, um, in a suburb called Ypsilanti. And it was a definitely an interesting space. Um, my like my, my mom liked it a lot because of the amount of interracial and bi, bi interracial couples, biracial children to like not feel ostracized. But um, like it, I grew up during Michigan's like ten year decline. So at the same time, there was this like demographic presence. There was this economic pain. And so elementary school was fine. Like we weren't hit too hard. But then when the white flight started to happen and like a lot of my white peers were leaving our school system for like the surrounding more affluent ones. Like I saw a stark change in my education from like our district getting all this debt. Um, we lost all of our teachers. They kept changing things. They were closing multiple schools every year. Um, and it was a lot of pain. Like in, And like the biggest culmination for me was in middle school where they put our two rival middle schools in the same building my eighth grade year. And it was chaotic. It was so chaotic um, to cram all those kids in one building and then like trying to make this rivalry non-existent, but it definitely exists for decades. Um, And so it was really hard. For high school, I wound up going out of my public district for um, a school that had the International Baccalaureate program. So it just promised some rigor and like a different education and um it was very competitive but I did learn a lot about myself and then I went to college at a <laughs> at a large PWI a public white institution and I did a lot of learning there um and some learning happened upon me <laughs> that's a really brief summary of just what some of what I've seen like going from 
a space that was comfortable to like declining to a space that was building up. That was the first year of my high school. We built it up. And then to like this established large institution. It was definitely a range of experiences for me. Luna, but what about you? Wow. What's your education like? Grace got that range <laughs> in education and all the talents that she holds. Um, yeah, my education. So I feel I feel like talking about your education is talking about like my life story. And that always starts for me as like my parents. Um, and so my parents came all the way from Tokyo, Japan in the 80s for my dad's work. And um, we, my family and I grew up in down, well, they, my parents were around Downriver area and then ended up moving to Grosseal, um, which is very much that white flight suburb um, that Dre was just mentioning. And I'm sure many flocked towards um, Grosseal, which is this very white, um, affluent, small town island super secluded um in that its own bubble around like within down river too um and that's where i grew up and i was one of a handful of just like people of color you know maybe there's five black kids at the end of high school um and that was when it was increasing like there was maybe one or two growing up um and myself being one of few handful of Asian kids there's like was not a lot of um yeah it, it was super white <laughs> so um I can I can speak to the critiques of that in my own experiences growing up um in those spaces but not to overshadow the privileges that came with with being in, in an institution in in a school system that you know provide and a family and community um that provided me all like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs if you were to go from bottom mm-hmm. to top, you know, physiological to all the way up to self-esteem, like um, I received growing up the bottoms and then self-esteem and like love. <laughs> that, that's a whole, that's that's where we can get critical from my experience. But, you know, like mm. it is different. It's like you, you can't like that. The crit- critiques of the top tip cannot be overshadowed. It cannot overshadow, you know, like the safety and the physiological needs that I that I just grew up with and received um, growing up there. Um, I also had a unique experience uh, being Japanese American and having the privilege to attend, I called it American school during the weekdays and then Japanese school on Saturdays every, every Saturday growing up. That. And yeah, so that was like my two identities, Japanese and American in my education system growing up. And two very like polar opposite experiences for me because in American school I was very much model minoritized Mm. and had so much pressure on me um within the family um dynamics as well as just expectations from you know the kids and the teachers around me who just like did not know me but my Asian-ness that they stereotyped me against um and so I, I like held so I put a lot of pressure on myself mm. in that school. Um, but at Japanese school, I was the polar opposite growing up because it was a school essentially for students who were fresh from Japan and families were here and it was run by the Japanese government. So the curriculum was Jap- you know, oh, from, wow. yeah, from Japan. 
um, and it was very much centered for the success of children going back to Japan. Um, oh. Yeah, and I wasn't. You know, I was like, I was born and raised here, um, stronger in my English than Japanese, struggled, like, experienced. Um, How many just, of your peers went back to Japan after the program? Most, most, most of them. yeah. So like the my my friend group was like the the handful of kids who grew up here, <laughs> and we're like in in that in a different way of ostracization that I was you know I experienced in the American school of just like um, super like outcast like ooh they, yeah. they're like English speakers or like they're kind of stupid kind of like but I also like claimed that um, identity like took pride in it because I was able to be rebellious mm. in the ways that I was unable to in my American exper- school experience. So um, liberatory in that way to be able to exercise that in an education system that didn't um, negatively impact me in terms of like academic mm. um, growth going to college, right? Like the whole... Um, so the American the system goal. like scared you into being controlled because of like this college path but Japanese right. school I was free like I did it, I yeah. got like 10% maybe 20% on my like science test because <laughs> I couldn't read it and yeah, and but I did okay. I did great in math because I could read the numbers mm. um I mean I could read I, I mean I can read Japanese and read write and speak it um, but when it comes to those <laughs> those questions, and we would have summer school homework. Oh my goodness! It, like summer homework, there's so much homework, so much papers that I had to fill out, <laughs> you know, and do in test. Um, balancing out both American and Japanese school. Yeah. Um, so just a lot of work, but it really, really, those experiences really, especially Japanese school. Um, solidified my cultural identity mm. you know growing not growing up in a space that where there are many Japanese folks I was able to really immerse myself in those people with those people um, at the school so I'm, ve- I'm very very fortunate to have yeah grown up through those two systems all right <laughs> all right next um so we're both teachers, yeah? And the next question is simply, why did you choose teaching? And what are your intentions for teaching? Yeah, so, like, I just grew up, there's a lot of conversation, like public discourse around teaching and like, as a non-respective profession, like, I think about often like, what does that how does that push people either in or out of it right and so for me I didn't consider teaching growing up um but I like to play teacher you know I was the oldest sibling in our our, our age cohort so I know I had to be the teacher and I was (laughs) you know I was laying down down. the law (laughs) be quiet yeah um and so, like, my type one personality definitely <laughs> got to come alive in those spaces. Mm. But, you know, it was in college when I, it was honestly in high school when I started really love working with youth and, like, students. Mm. And I was saying, like, what does it mean to, like, make this a career? What is What are my options? And, like, I would weigh certain things because I think there's something so important about youth and students and children um 
something so important about their voice and like how, but also how juxtaposed to how it's getting taken away. Their voice is taken away oftentimes, oftentimes. Um, but also like just the amount of joy they can bring into spaces and light or the amount of like developing a personality. It's just so awesome to watch. I um so ultimately in college, I was afraid of how many kids were in the classroom. And then in the pandemic, I taught 43 second graders this year. 43. So. Let's just pause. Sink, let it sink in for the viewers or listeners. 43 second graders on yeah. one Zoom call. One yeah. teacher, Miss Summers. <laughs> so that was a lot. And I definitely faced my fears. Mm-hmm. And I got through like mm-hmm. this year I got a lot more closure than last year when we just like ended and no one had technology mm. that was really jarring so to have like oh hey this is my goodbye speech like to everyone and you guys get to hear it it was so different but like yeah I teach for the students for the youth um like I just I had a I had experience of education like as an empowering tool so like it opened doors for me and like gave me choice and options And in our system today, I'm seeing how that can also be constrained, but still when you have the education, you can use that in order to try to get those paths and those opportunities and what you want. And so because of that, like I hope to pass that on. Like I hope to pass on a love of learning. I just, I love learning things. Like this Mm -hmm. year I've been learning French. I've been learning tenor saxophone. Let's hear it, let's hear your French. (laughs) (laughs) Je parle un peu de français. You heard that here first, folks. Um, and yeah, the, this is love and appreciation of learning. Um, is is like my intention and my core. And then, so as someone who had very few black teachers growing up, like to be a black teacher in these spaces for my kids and for my students, for my black students, like I want them to love their blackness way earlier than I love my blackness. Mm. I want them to appreciate it and affirm it and know their history because like a lot of times curriculum is just passed down and it doesn't take into account their blackness. I think that is a disservice to our students and they can be so much more empowered if they know who they are and love who they are. Yeah. (laughs) Mic drop. So Luna, why do you teach? Mm. Why, what are your intentions in teaching? I feel like it, it evolves. Yeah. It, like there isn't it. Like a Pokemon. It, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I didn't I watch know. enough. Wait, I, just, I didn't. I didn't watch it at all. Uh, you just said it because I'm Asian. <laughs> I watch Pokemon. They evolve. <laughs> so teaching is like Pokemon. They evolve. Teaching, yeah. Why teaching? And. I think I, I think in any every one of these questions I have to be just really present right now with where I'm at in that because I can go on about where I started, why I started from the beginning and how it evolved from there. Mm. That is not who, how I think right now. Yeah. Um, but teaching, I think first to just the love that my students have given me especially like when I first started off yo like I never thought I could love anyone the way that I love my kids like they really expanded my love that's it like they they expanded my 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 like capacity to love um and in the same way that what 
I feel like it's common like we say p- teachers are kind of like the second parent to students um in in that regards of being that role model and mentor to my students um like I I I want I just want my students to be able to be the best version of themselves and like for me to help them actualize that through through learning um and in in the wider like school school and in community like schools are ubiquitous across communities so hypothetically speaking schools you know and what they do like bring people together bring children the youth together with educators like hypothetically they are incubations for like grassroots movements and organizing and community building. Archives in the machine. You know, but like... That potential's there. The pot- like, is that not what, why we, why we learn and teach and are are in this together? That's like, like it, but this, that is more just like a personal, I feel, in, in position than the actual system that was created that we enter together. Mm. Um but like, yeah, schools should be incubations to to build, share, grow our knowledge and skill sets together in respect to the communities um, that our children and their families um, and our schools are in and work to continue building generational wealth within that community. Mm. Like if that was happening across the country and across the world, mm. to just like grow their you know, grow communities and grow together. Like, I feel like that's too, like, fantastical, (laughs) fantasy. But I'm like, why not? Like, it should be. And so being a teacher and um, just, like, experiencing all the struggles and joy and all the emotions experienced through this profession... Um, it makes me want to keep going. Yeah, you bring up a good point about the community in schools, and like the intent was like, aren't the purpose of having local schools and local school districts is that you're supposed to build that community, have this space, but like with our age of information and just pulling families apart, like, mm. like we've gotten away from that. It feels like a lot. Like for me, mm-hmm. I'm like for my teaching experience, like. It was really hard to like build that wider community based off our school because students were transferred schools often mm-hmm. and things were so in flux. Families were moving constantly. Like there wasn't this feeling of being settled down and in place. Like things were always shifting some way or another. Yeah. And how does that like depart from our intent of what we want local schools to mean and do and be like? Yeah. But for you, was it like that at your school? There definitely was an ebb and flow of students um, and the frustrations of, so so then my dad, oh no, my, like, <laughs> oh no, my dad, thinking about, he has some wise words, definitely he's, he has he has some wise words to share. Um, and one thing that we argue often about, but I will use in, in this response is, um, he always says like, um, like, do what's what like do what's in your control be mm. able to work within within that um first 
at least. Like, do what's in your control. I don't know how to say it. But, like, like just manage what you can, pretty much. And so I use that because, like, it can get super chaotic. Because as a teacher, you're not only thinking about classroom and content. That's it. You teach 9 to 5, like, a industrial job and, and you go home. It's, it is so complex and so much more. We are we hold so many hats, wear so many hats. Um, yeah, if it's everywhere. <laughs> um, and so for me, managing what I could in control, within my control was my classroom, um, my families, despite the, despite like, you know, the fluctuations of who, you know, who was within that classroom and community that we built. Um, but just like, for me, it was just like strong communication with the families, checking in with them, the, the kids. Um, living in the community also was really big for me um, because then we would just run into each other across, you know, while I was driving, um, getting my car washed, like saw a student, across, you know, uh, you know, um, walk the crosswalk with him and his family. And so, or like going to birthday parties and um, just being a part of the community in, in, in their lives in the ways that I can as, you know, going back to like the second parent type role, like being, being there. Um, but that puts a lot on teachers to do and so that's not what I'm saying it's like you know like don't get the wrong message like but like (laughs) this is like this is how I've been acting in order to um build that community at least within the families and students that are in my classroom and then um I I also worked in a um small public charter school in southwest so um I feel streamlined of communication when it's easier to get to the CEO and mm. other teachers um, to to like get something going in in the school in school wide systems, and so there's a lot of um, like I was able to do a lot and a lot of direct access. Uh, yeah, I think I think that too because time is time and energy really just yeah. in, in this in this so okay lizard noise. <laughs> So I think yeah. that that also like I was in the space I, I was afforded the space to to um, move and build community in the way that I, I wanted to with with the community community being like larger school and larger community and within my classroom. Okay, and you're about to move to a district that is much larger. Yeah. The direct access is. So I'm coming in with two years of experience in a small public charter school um, and transitioning into a larger. Um, public school system and I'm doing the opposite I'm going from a large public school system to a small private no small public charter on the west side of Detroit so it's definitely like definitely like a heavy transition and I'm sorting out what is going on in education and how do we like how do we make it not miserable for students, for teachers, for everyone involved in that system? I mean, if I'm being like completely honest, like there's definitely elements of just like this capitalistic system and like getting people to produce, like no matter what they against their will, against their will, mm. that's like really constraining folks. But also like there's intentional choices people make day to day that are just harboring like joy. They're keeping away intentionality and just like having meaningful work and that's not just busy work. Meaningful work, not just busy work. You heard it here, folks. Ooh, 
how are you feeling? I'm feeling hot. I'm touching my face. I'm like, <laughs> so much. The air is on high. You better not complain. Oh, true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, we are living the luxury right now. When I go back, I have no AC. But that's fine too. I get nice, nice natural breeze inside. Um, so the last question. Oh, last question. Is, let's do second to last. Uh-oh. Second to last question. What is the work you hope to do going forward? Yeah, I think... I think like through these two years, my first year ended in a pandemic. My second year was completely virtual, um, like in the heart of the pandemic. And then like we're coming into my third year teaching and it's so very unclear as of August, let's say August 3rd, mm-hmm. what it's going to look like in a month from now. Mm. Um, and so I'm, my, my hope is that, like, I just can be an educator and an advocate for students to have an education that's not, that's, like, basically non-traditional, that, that lets them see themselves and incorporate selves and, like, empower self to find what they love and to pursue that, um, to, to be able to speak up against the powers that be, honestly, because... We just need more people who will like never give up that fight um, to not just fall into line, but to make new lines when necessary, which is often. Um, and to just be curious about the world around them, about the world at large. Like, I think there's a lot of beauty and importance in asking questions and in being curious and being open-minded. Um, that I think if that was more of a norm, things look a lot different. Like we're coming, like we've been, as more people got vaccinated, we were like starting to see like the light, like, oh, we're about to be done. But then things are just going back to the way they were. And I'm like, where was our reflection time to say, oh, how can we make things different? How can we make things more effective? How can we make things like change? And then just feel like, no, we just want to go, let's just go back to where, where we were. Let's go back, let's go back. Mm. Like, let's pause. Like. You had a real, we have a real opportunity here not to re-enter society, or I don't want to use that term because people will actually re-enter society, but how to like resume without just continuing the status quo. So I want, like, I hope that, you know, it doesn't have to be a status quo. Yeah. Cue. Wait, what was the High School Musical song with the status quo? Stick to that. Don't stick to the status quo. Not sponsored. Luna loves Disney, so you might get a lot of Disney references in no, this podcast. No, it's not me. It's my sister. And Luna. <laughs> Lisa's been a big influence on that, working there. Um, but Luna, what do you hope for in your work going forward? Yeah. Um, I mean, when you spoke to the the rush to get back to just, like, the normalcy we experienced and lived pre-COVID, um, I think about the Olympics that are happening right now. 80% of Japanese folks are saying, like, stop, why is this happening? Um, when the Olympic Committee is just, like, moving on and continuing the Olympics um, and making it very dangerous for everyone. Um, and I think about how 
this Olympics during a pandemic could have been that opportunity too on on an international level of um, international spotlight of of how how can we like yeah how can we like can you know like continue continue like do the Olympics in a way that we have never seen or experienced before mm. in a way that's safe for everyone in the same way that like school went to virtual you know in person to virtual <laughs> wow <laughs> laundry is ready um in the same way like no one could have imagined school being virtual like teaching kindergartners on online no one could imagine seven hours a day but here we were teaching no lower, snow days. lower elementary school right online in the same like unimaginable ways of like continuing to live and exist together in this world like the olympics was a big one where they could have not just rushed it and put all those people in danger um but could have just like reimagined um so i I thought of that because (laughs) we watched the olympics last night together um but to the question what is the work you hope to do going forward um i have been itching and anxious and fearful actually actually i have you know i have some skin diseases (laughs) drea (laughs) if you do have any itching cream let me know because i'll probably need it in a little bit um i okay so i have been itching anxious like super super like fired up um but very ignorant and and like oh i don't know anything but that's what i put onto myself about policy Mm. education policy in michigan local state and nationally and internationally like school systems but just to think about like michigan's education system and policies right now like policies are when you talk about policy across teachers it is something that many fear Mm. especially in my conversations that i had with teachers Mm -hmm. um and why is that when mm. it really, really pertains to us and our work and our lives and our students and everything that we just talked about in, the, in this episode, um, that we are made ignorant to the policies that are keeping us in, in the struggle bliss. Um, and so my, yeah, my hope, like my hope, and I'll put a timeline and like this next year mm. is to like keep building capacity and, and movements and, um, work and knowledge around education policy in Michigan. And that's all I can say to it right now. Cause I, I, like there's, it feels very daunting. Yeah. I feel like I read a lot of research mm. around it too, but nothing sticks but just how devastating it is. Look, it's so hard to like, for me personally, like planning like long-term future, like since the pandemic, I was like, like before I was like, oh, I'm going to travel, do X, Y, and Z. I have these five years mapped out. And then everything is closed and shut down. It's like, okay, what you thought you were going to do for the next year cannot happen. And now I'm living in this space of like, okay, let me plan like the next couple months, mm-hmm. hit these goals, see if it can even happen. And then I can go on. Like, it's hard to plan long, long term, I feel like. Just with the state of the world, it just feels so in flux. 
I feel like this is gonna be a podcast about education and like life life it is like how we experience life um and how we plan anticipate for our next steps how intertwined that is in, in our work through education too. Yeah, because our students this year, like being that young in this pandemic, mm. it's gonna shape them the rest of their lives. I want to know what's happening to their brains. The, the pandemic babies. Yeah. Oh, cue cue those TikToks. <laughs> they are enormous and powerful, <laughs> physically, mentally, and everything in between. It's phenomenal. Yeah, if you haven't heard of Pandemic Babies yet, go on TikTok, look up a Pandemic Baby, and you'll see some some strength. I'll just, tell you that. Just talk to your phone, and it'll say Pandemic Baby into your phone, and then it'll catch it and put you on the algorithm, the TikTok algorithm for Pandemic Baby. <laughs> Probably get a couple tonight, but I'm quitting social media for a little bit. And why is that? Yeah, I mean, I guess from the future, I hope to... Like being, so right now I'm like a tap dance teacher. I'm a full-time teacher. Um, I teach at my, I used to, before the pandemic, I taught at my church. Like I've been in these spaces as a teacher in all these capacities. And so I'm seeing like, what does it mean to do the work and like to appreciate and love working with youth, but maybe not full-time. Um, so currently studying for law school. Um Ooh. And to see, like, what does that meaningful work mean for me um, and the goals that I have in my life? Like, because education touches so many systems, like the criminal justice system. It touches, like, housing and, like, food security and and labor. Like, it's all these things that impact my students. Like, it's just, we need more people just doing the work. <laughs> In all the different roles, all in everything, the roles. like yeah, we can be teachers forever, and or like take up take up the roles that need to be done, um, in the way that benefits you and your life for the greater good. <laughs> we can cut that out. <laughs> okay, so wrap it up. Did you go? How should we wrap it up? Well, you said second to last questions. Like, are you going to oh, keep the promise or do you want to? I should. Okay. <laughs> um, last question. Off the dome. Oh. She's about to spit, y'all. <laughs> last question. If you could call anyone right now to say that you love them, who would it be? <laughs> Listeners are like, what? <laughs> Is this a light question? It's one that will ground you in your love. Ing. So part of me um, is thinking about my aunt, who's just been like transitioned to the nursing home in this pandemic. That's been hard. I'm also thinking about like just being able to talk to my students again, especially like we did virtual learning. To like just say I love you again would be really mm. beautiful and a little needed to be honest. Luna, yeah. who would you call and say I love you? You got to choose two. Okay, choose two. <laughs> and when you said the students, though, like oh me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, me. one. Okay, <laughs> but um, I mean while you while I like yeah you were speaking, 
You spoke about your aunt. I, I thought about my grandma in Japan, in Tokyo, where the Olympics happening, and just like isolated and stranded in her home by herself.、Um, is something that I think about like every day.、Um, and so I would call her, and I should call her because she's still there. No, you、There's、can't the call her. 13 hour difference. Right, this is what we're going to do right now. When we finish this segment, we're going to call. What time is it? I don't know. I don't want to wake her up. Six? Oh, she's awake. It's a 13 hour difference. So. 7 a.m. I don't know. I think so. <laughs> we'll call them soon. Yeah, we're going to call them because、um, I love her very much and so far away. And I think about her a lot right now, especially. So that's what I'm going to do. Well, guys, you guys. <laughs> well, guys, <laughs> that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Come back, check us out for more interviews, more content, more giggles, more just thought provoking discourse. Discourse. Luna, anything else you want to say? No. I'm, exci- I'm excited for this. This is our first episode、um, together where we just, you know, sort of spoke from our hearts、um, of our own histories and education and where we want to be right now in the present moment.、Um, but please look out and be excited for all the interviews to come.、Um, our first one with a guest will be someone super special to us who have led the collective this year, the inaugural year.、Um, and we're excited for you to all hear from her as well. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to follow the collective on social media on Facebook and Instagram at DET Collective. And just so you know, the collective is a group of BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color, educators in Detroit,、um, or past educators doing the work and for our Detroit students and just to grow as、uh, liberatory educators. Thank you so much. Have a great night or day. Bye. Bye.